The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings found in all the Star Trek TV series, movies, and more. But today is a special episode because it's number 300. And uh, being humans of the certain stripe who have 10 fingers and 10 toes, we like big numbers that end in zeros. And so we're going to take a special uh, chance to discuss something different this time, which is the best Star Trek episodes ever. In that, we'll, we'll talk about how we came to conclude which ones are best based on our own criteria. But uh, that said, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and joining me today on the panel are Father Cory Stika. Hey, Father Cory. Insert comic book guy here. Best episodes <laughs> ever. <laughs> and Jimmy Aiken. Hey, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. Uh, folks, be sure to stick around to the end of the episode because we also have some great listener feedback that we want to share with you. And I want to encourage you to share the podcast with your friends. Help us grow this community. We've been around for 300 episodes. We plan to be around for a lot more. And we want to keep improving the show. And that improves when we have a bigger audience to interact with. Uh, it's always great to have new people listening. Uh, and finally, I want to tell you about another show on the StarQuest Network that I'm certain you'll enjoy called Let's Science. It is a science-based podcast and you can find that wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash science all right there's no recap jimmy so you're off the hook this week <laughs> uh so oh, no i want him to recap all of star trek <laughs> you can no. recap all of star for you know, 800 some odd episodes space the final frontier yeah. <laughs> <laughs> pretty much does it that's the shortest yep. recap ever um all right, so first I want to ask you all how you came to the conclude, came to the decision of how to decide what constitutes the best. And what we're going to do is, I should preface, we're going to choose the best from each series, from the films, and so on and so forth. And there's a lot of them now. Uh, mm -hmm. But, uh, Father Corey, how did you decide, how did you make a decision about what constituted the best? You know, it, it kind of took both objective and subjective. I think there's kind of both aspects. You know, there's objective, of course, is, you know, episodes that develop the universe, that advance plots, you know, season arcs and things like that, character development, things that were great, writing, directing, acting, things like that, you know, very, you know, objective type elements, but then also subjective things of just episodes I enjoy. You know, my favorite episodes, episodes that, you know, if, if you happen to be flipping through the channels and you see it's on, you're just going to watch or just all, you know, something reminds you of that episode and you just have to go sit down and watch it. Yeah. You know, something like that, something more subjective, something more of just, I like this episode is, you know, really a way to put it, you know, it's a favorite. So okay. I, like I said, there's a little of both in, in my picks. All right. How about you, Jimmy? How did you make your decision? Uh, I decided that the best episodes were the ones I liked. And I don't have channels to flip through, but I do sometimes, <laughs> you know, at like at night after I, when I'm winding down and getting ready for bed, I may watch some video. And if I decide to watch Star Trek, you know, the ones that I would tend to rewatch uh, multiple times would be ones that I really enjoy and would recommend to other people. Also, I I didn't adhere to this rule strictly, but I, I basically went over the lists of the episodes of the different shows. And if I remembered 
an episode from its title and said, oh, yeah, I remember that one. That was really good. Then I would tend to put that on the list. In a few instances, I couldn't. There was an episode I remember being really good, but I couldn't remember the title and I would look it up. But mostly it was like these are the ones that I re- that I remember really liking and really liking enough that I remember the title. Okay. Yeah, for me, it was twofold, similar to, to you you guys, I think. Um, whichever ones I enjoy the most watching, sometimes ones that may not objectively be great, but they had an impact on me at the time when I watched them. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that they, that, you know, and, you know, now I might not say it's the, was the best ever, but at the time it had an impact and it continues to today. So there's that. Also, for some, it was, do they embody Star Trek to me in some unique way? Is there something uniquely Star Trek about it that makes it stand out? And so there was that as well. You I know, for- always get really nervous when people start talking about, does this embody <laughs> Star Trek or not? <laughs> well, it's a subjective uh, idea, which is, mm-hmm. does this, d- d- does this, you know, have qualities in it that that I love about Star Trek. Like, is this embody those qualities that make, there are plenty of episodes of Star Trek, uh, often in discovery, for example, whereas like, this isn't Star Trek, this is something else. And it just doesn't, doesn't work right. for, for me as a Star Trek mm-hmm. episode, uh, a Star Trek story. I would, so. I would, well, I think that, see, this is one of the things, this is one of the reasons I get uncomfortable with that kind of analysis is because, a lot of people will say, oh, well, Star Trek is about overcoming our differences and da-da-da-da-da. And they can point to things like that in Discovery and say, this is Star Trek. And to me, I, rather than, than say, is this Star Trek, I would say it's all Star Trek. It's just some of it's bad. <laughs> right. Well, uh the good thing here is, is this mm-hmm. is my methodology. But this is your methodology, so you <laughs> do then, you. And, and by the way, that, that's why I went a little more specific about developing the universe and character development sure, and stuff like that, sure. you know. Um, right. But And I'm also not going to be one, like, uh, everyone saying kumbaya at the end, and that embodies Star Trek for me. So that's mm-hmm. you, can be, you can be sure I'm not going to is, is, re- is it really Star Trek if it doesn't have the joke at the end? <laughs> right <laughs> if they're not standing around consoles uh i did i did find it difficult in fact we'll, we'll go into detail as we get to each round but i did find it difficult to pick favorites in certain series i have mm-hmm. to admit same here um that they were just even series that i enjoyed it was hard for sometimes for some of them for me to find one that stood out and mm-hmm. so i'm gonna uh, and sometimes in my memory, uh, it was that. So uh, we'll we'll get to that. So uh, as I said, we're going to do Ron Robbins style. We're going to we're going to have each round will be a different series, starting at the first, and uh, we'll alternating who you know the order in which we talk about them. And so the first series up is, of course, the original series or those old scientists. And uh, I I had the privilege of random number generator choosing me, so I get to pick. So. Uh, oh yeah rigged, rigged. <laughs> yeah <No. laughs> and, and the weird thing is is every round i came up for it no i'm just kidding <laughs> uh now I, and, and i will and i'm gonna snipe this one i'm sure because you know, it always comes out on the list of the best so, uh, so but for me city on the edge of forever really stands out uh it is a very sci-fi premise it, it you know it's it's really well written the the acting is really great in it. There's an interesting moral quandary that Kirk has to encounter, which is a very sci-fi time travel quandary. And there's a heroic sacrifice that he that he makes, but also, you know, let's be honest, Edith makes <laughs> the biggest sacrifice of all mm-hmm. in all this. Uh and so uh 
yeah, I really love City on the Edge of Forever, and it and it has resonances. The the, the Guardian of Forever shows up time and time again mm-hmm. um, in later Trek series, uh, including some more recent ones. Well, uh, so, twice. Uh, the, so just the twice. Yeah, I'm just thinking, twice. You know, I'm thinking it shows up in novels a number of times. Yeah, That's what right. I'm thinking of. Yep. And it's kind of a missed opportunity because um, at the end of City on the Edge of Forever, the Guardian says, I can do this for you a bunch. And then they never follow up <laughs> mm-hmm. on that. Right, right. So that's mine. Uh, and I'll quickly turn it over to uh, next up is Jimmy. What is your original series favorite? Oh, I didn't realize we were limited to one episode per series. Uh, yeah. I'm. I, well, I'm going to pick one at a time, but you can, you know, you, you go whatever the best episodes are for for you. That's okay. I chose one above all. Okay. Um, so for the original series, I have a few. Balance of Terror, the original mm-hmm. Romulan episode where it's essentially submarine warfare in space. That's really good. Devil in the Dark, where we get the Horda, the silicon-based life form. That's really good. City on the Edge of Forever, as, which you've already covered. A Mock Time where we learn about mm-hmm. Vulcan marriage rituals and mating. Uh, Mirror, Mirror, the original mm-hmm. Mirror Universe episode. Journey to Babel, where we get to meet Spock's parents. And The Trouble with Tribbles. Yep. All good. Amok Time was going to be my second choice if I had to, if I wasn't first. Um, I love that it gives us more, it gives us the Spock-Kirk friendship. Mm-hmm. Um, it gives McCoy being very clever. Mm-hmm. And underhanded and devious, uh, mm-hmm. and gives us Vulcan, like lots about Vulcan, which is uh, was always fascinating to me as a kid. Um, and Kroika, which is the <laughs> I, I use on my off. kids all the time. Yeah, yeah. I use it on my kids. <laughs> How about you, Father Corey? What's your uh, your best episodes of original so, series? So for most most of these, I picked two or three. Most most series, I picked two or three. Um, my first one was the Ultimate Computer. You know, we meet meet mm-hmm. Daystrom, the M5 computer. Now, I, I should actually caveat first with TOS, as I've said before, I have not seen all of TOS. I'm still working through it kind of as we do it as with the with the uh, podcast. But there are some episodes I have seen kind of through throughout the years and Ultimate Computer is one of them. And it's, you know, it's an episode that I think is even more current today than it was in the 60s when it was written because of the rise of AI and the questions of AI taking over things like jobs, taking over things like control, you know, self-driving vehicles and stuff like that. You know, of course, this takes that to the extreme of this isn't just a self-driving vehicle. This is a fully armed battle station, <laughs> you know, the Enterprise. Yeah. Uh, sorry, right. wrong, 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 uh, Wrong series, uh, but um, fully armed and fully operational battle station. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but you know, it's the questions of you know, can an AI do things like run spaceships and, and run military and stuff like that? So I, I it, it's and it's a really and, it, and also the question of you know the dignity of humanity as well. You know, mm-hmm. versus again artificial intelligence. Uh, absolutely, absolutely love and enjoy Space Seed. You know, the original con. You know, when yep. Khan comes into the world, you know, or gets introduced that mm. then gets played out in the, in the films, you know, I should have named that. Yeah. 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 It's just another, another great episode in, in Ricardo Montalban and, you know, in, in his great acting and everything. And then, you know, like I said, in part of my choosing uh, best is what develops the universe. And we can't forget the original, the cage, the original yeah. pilot. Because it really, even though that was not the actual pilot that was aired, there was so much, of course, that came out of that pilot 
that then set the stage for including a whole the rest of new series like strange yeah. new worlds yeah that's exactly true. that's true that's that's good that's a good 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 selections there this and that's the thing about the original series there's a lot to choose from it was it was it was one of the shortest not the shortest but it was one of the shortest but the quality was there you know in so many episodes uh yeah that, as, that won't as, be true of some of the later ones as um <laughs> yeah. As the character Fry says in Futurama, in Futurama, when he meets the William Shatner head, it's like, aren't you William Shatner, that guy who did Star Trek, 78 episodes, about a third of them good? Says, yeah. <laughs> I'd say even more than a, th- a third great, uh, maybe a third yeah. more that were good. Uh, so speaking of short series, um, I, I, I put the animated series in here um and I don't know if you, I, if you guys chose oh, yeah. one. Or, oh, yeah. Okay. Because I, I felt like it deserved it, even though it was very short. Um, and uh, Father Corey, you get to go first in the, the, the animated series round. Well, actually, so, yeah, for this one, again, I'm not, I haven't watched all the way through TAS as well. But the um, you know, first one I picked was Yesteryear, speaking of both the, uh, the Guardian on the Edge of Forever. Yeah, yeah the Guardian and uh, the Vulcan. Because, of course, that mm-hmm. combines, you know, talking about Spock's background his his childhood and so on and so that was that was you know that's a great episode and seeing you know the time change you know and all that Mm -hmm. and then uh the slaver weapon larry niven's contribution where he brought the gazinti in uh of course larry niven is known for much other sci-fi well on his own and with jerry pornell um but of course this is his contribution to the star trek universe that's awesome uh and uh I was second on the list, and and you picked the two that I picked, which was uh, <laughs> yesteryear and the slaver weapon. I, I love the fact that Larry Niven brought his pre-existing uh, race, the Zinti, and adapted a story he'd already written to become a Star Trek story. Uh, so I think I thought that was fascinating, and and, uh, and I and did it well. And we should say, yeah, too, he did it well. It's a good story. I, in fact, I, I always think it, I thought it's been a, a lost opportunity that the Zinti. I don't think the the, the Kazinti Kaz- ever Kazinti. Kazinti is another right. The Kazinti ever show up again in Star Trek? They should certainly. Yeah, they Especially do in new. the. They do in the in um in lower decks, lower decks, or lower deck, lower decks. There you go. Yeah. Oh yes, thinking. yeah, that's right. They do. Um, and so, uh, but so those were two, the two I that really stood out for me as well. Uh, how about you, Jimmy? Well, I was third on the list, and I picked yesteryear and the slaver weapon. <laughs> <laughs> so. So clearly, consensus. yeah, there's a consensus on the best, uh, the best from the animated series. Yeah. Uh, there's I, only I've, a couple dozen I, to choose from. I've also read the um, the original story that the slaver weapon is based on multiple times, and actually Niven, with his co-author Eric uh, Lerner, has also told it the same story from another perspective. So there's actually three versions of it. Um, there's the initial version of it, which is um, you know, Niven has his three human characters who were trapped by the Kazenti. Mm-hmm. And one of them, Nessus the puppeteer, is a familiar character. And then he's got these two human sidekicks that he's hired, one of whom is they're they're like husband and wife, and the husband is military and knows how to use weapons and stuff. And the Kazenti, being carnivores and honor based are like even the Kazenti don't want to ask their telepaths to read the mind of Nessus, that pacifist plant eater. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's another version in the Fleet of Worlds novels where we get inside Nessus's head 
and we watch the whole story from just Nessus's perspective. Oh, fun! Which is fascinating. And then there's the TOS ver- TAS version where Niven found equivalents of in the main cast of Star Trek for his characters. So even he's got a woman, he's got Uhura, he's got uh, they're not married, but Sulu, a weapons expert corresponding to the military yep. man, and Spock, the pacifist vegetarian. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> interesting, interesting. Uh, so that brings us to our next round, which is the films. I, I put the films here. This is how we usually, the order we do uh, the mm-hmm. podcast in. And so the films, and uh, Jimmy, you get to go first for oh. your, your choice of uh, best film. All of, the even, all of the even ones less than 10. Um, <laughs> so... Wrath of Khan, mm-hmm. Search for Whales, mm-hmm. Undiscovered Country, and First Contact. Yep. Okay. Uh, so, and uh, the, I'm second on this, and uh, I put, of course, Wrath of Khan first. I mean, just, mm-hmm. it is. Oh, I, think I, would, it, I would actually put Undiscovered Country first. But Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the, it seems to be consensus among a lot of fans, and, and obviously not um, uh, unanimous, uh, that Rathacon is the best. It, it's certainly one of the best, one of the the, the top three. Uh, anyway, um, I really love that one um, again because of a lot to do with Ricardo Montalban. I mean, just he's a great scene chewing villain in this. He's so great. Uh, then, uh, but and then the sacrifices that get made with Spock mm-hmm. and uh, and, and, and and others. So then from there uh, we get. Uh, I think. The Voyage Home is my second. I just it's a it's a nostalgic pick. I always loved that when when it first came out. It was funny. It was endearing. Um, I I get the, the there's a bit of a message in it. You know, there's a bit of an environmental message, but it didn't. It wasn't overwhelming. And just there were so many good moments from that one, yeah. including that's, the bus that, scene. That's Search for Whales. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. Search the Search for Whales. Uh, how about you, Father Corey? So my my first one's Con as well. Um. For second one is First Contact, for mm. Star Trek First Contact. I, I, I enjoy that one. Um, you know, and it's because it, it's it is in Nick- Montana, right? <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah, Bozeman. Um, but you know, it's it's I I I think it could be very easily argued that's the best of the next gen mm. movies. And then yeah, The Search for Whales third. Okay, very good. Uh, all right, that brings us to TNG and. Uh, uh, actually, I said we didn't, we didn't do the same order, uh, the same first person every time. But uh, actually, Jimmy, you get to go first again no. for TNG. So what's your TNG picks? So I have a number. Uh, the first one is, which I think is really the capstone of the series, is the second season finale. It's called Shades of Grey. And it is the one where Riker gets injured and he has to, they have to stimulate his brain while he's in sickbay. So they stimulate his memory centers. And we get to watch all of our favorite moments from previous episodes. Um, <laughs> and it's just so meaningful to revisit those fond memories from the first two seasons of Star Trek and how great they were. <laughs> okay, there's, there's a phrase so. in the military I'm going to use. There's a phrase in the military right now that I'm going to I'm going to simplify. I'm going to make it more G. Save mm. your watch because the crap's getting deep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, Shades of Grey is one of the worst episodes of, yeah. of the entire series. My actual favorite picks are Yesterday's Enterprise, mm-hmm. which is a great story that redeems Tasha Yar's death. Yep. Hollow Pursuits, 
where we introduce Barkley and learn about holodeck addiction, which would be an enormous problem in their society. Mm-hmm. Uh, Best of Both Worlds Parts 1 and 2, which is worthy of being an actual movie and would be one of the better movies. Yeah. Uh, Clues, which is one where the Enterprise crew um, encounters what seems to be a wormhole, and then they begin to pick up clues that it wasn't a wormhole, that they're all missing a day. And the only person who seems to know about the situation is Data, and he won't tell them what happened in the missing day. That's a really good one. Mm. The drumhead, Mm -hmm. where we have a witch trial basically conducted on the Enterprise with a visiting judge, uh, Nora Satie, if I recall her name Mm -hmm. correctly. Darmok. Uh, No one can forget, um, you know, the the children. At the <laughs> Children of Tama episode. Yeah. I Borg, where we meet Hugh the Borg. Mm-hmm. Um, the First Duty, where we get our first look at Starfleet Academy, and it's a very tense story involving Wesley needing to tell the truth mm-hmm. after participating in an illegal flight maneuver that took the life of a fellow cadet. Mm-hmm. And we get Nick Lacarno, who we'll yep. see again. Uh, even though he looks strangely like Tom Paris, but not everybody agrees. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> the next phase, which is one where Rolaren and Jordy have been oh, rendered yes. insubstantial mm-hmm. so that they pass. No one can see or hear them. Ro, the, at first, they think, at least Ro thinks they're dead um, mm-hmm. because they can walk through objects. And there's a mystery to why are they out of phase with normal matter? and mm-hmm. and And we have to deal with that. But they don't fall through the floors. They, but they don't clear. fall through the floors, so they're not immune to gravitons, apparently. <laughs> or something. They can also breathe. Mm-hmm. But So who knows how that works. The uh, episode Remember Me, which is another one. I really like these Twilight mm. Zone episodes mm. of mm. Next Gen. I think they're among the best. You know, Next Phase is like that. Clues is like that. They have this mystery element. And Remember Me does. In this one, uh, Beverly Crusher welcomes her friend, Dr. Dalen Quace, onto the Enterprise. He vanishes, and no one remembers him coming on board. And then mm-hmm. other people start vanishing, mm-hmm. and no one ever remembers them being there until it's down to just Beverly and Picard, and Picard doesn't remember the ship ever having any other crew. Of yep. course the ship only has two people on it. Why would, <laughs> why would it need more than two? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Schisms which is kind of a 24th century alien abduction uh, episode. It's another mystery. People on board the Enterprise are having sleep disturbances and paranoia and unexplained physical injuries, and they start to find out they're being abducted by aliens from subspace. Yes. Really interesting one. Mm -hmm. Dark Page, the best Loxana Troy episode of Next Gen, where we learn that before... She had Deanna. She had another daughter who died, and we get a really serious look at the trauma that Loxana went through. Parallels, a an episode where Universe, Worf is coming back from a Batleth tournament, oh, right. and he starts hopping between universes, and we get to see the different universes and how things have played out in them. And finally, a seventh season episode that not everybody likes, uh, Masks, where the Enterprise encounters an alien probe that begins recreating elements of the Builder's mythology. 
on the enterprise, particularly focusing on Mr. Data. And I understand, you know, not everybody likes this, but I have heavy anthropological leanings. I appreciate studies of mythology and how it works and getting to explore this alien mythology, you know, with like the sun chasing the moon and stuff like that personified as deities. It's all fascinating. Mm-hmm. And uh, from an anthropological perspective, I really love exploring this imaginary alien mythology. Mm-hmm. All right. Excellent. That is a great list. Uh, Father Corey, what's your uh, choice for this uh, TNG? Well, I've, you know, just to repeat one that Jimmy said, you know, I've long said that uh, Yesterday's Enterprise is one of my absolute favorite TNG uh, episodes, if mm-hmm. not my, my favorite, my top. Um, Relics, Captain Montgomery Scott mm-hmm. returning. Oh, Excellent that episode. Yeah. That's just yeah. such, I mean, so many great scenes, but also, you know, him coming to realization he's uh, you know a whole century ahead of where he was before and, mm. and getting into that that time and and that we shouldn't forget the past and the lessons of the past um and then one that it has it it starts out with a very implausible uh premise but it's a great episode is chain of command where you've got Beverly and Picard going and doing you know uh special ops and top Worf. secret and war yeah yeah, Worf is the only one that's plausible of the three that would actually be on this. <laughs> yeah, and you know, of course, yeah, Picard getting captured and the torture and all that scene and all that. Uh, you've got Jellico, who, by the way, is a great captain. He just isn't Picard. He gets a yep. bad rap, and you yep. know, played um, admirably. Uh, just it's a great ep- It is a great two-parter, um, and it, it, it is uh, like I said it, that just those scenes with the torture is, are so powerful. You know, mm-hmm. that there yeah. were four lights, you know, that, that <laughs> line that is repeated, you know. Yep. Yep. Uh, yeah. Kinsey as captain is really interesting. Oh, I mean, uh, Jellico as captain. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was thinking too, yeah. <laughs> it's the same character. Uh, so I get, to, I'm going to choose mine. And my first one I know is controversial. I know it is despised by some, but I'm going to choose it because and this is what I was talking about earlier when I was talking about my methodology, the inner light. I know mm. some people don't like mm. it, but when I first saw it, it felt profound and haunting. And again, I was young. Yep. I was, you know, in my late teens. Um, imagine what it would have been like to experience a whole life and yep. all those relationships and have them to feel real and then have them stripped away. Uh, and it just like, wow. Like at the end of it, I was, I remember sitting there thinking about how would Picard have felt after that? Mm-hmm. And uh, it was fascinating to me to to that and so it really stuck with me it still sticks with me today is uh is that story so i really like that uh that story um a lower decks the the tng episode lower mm-hmm. decks mm-hmm. um and how it felt in the beginning of that story it was very light it was like hey let's look at some other people on board the ship but it got very deep at, by the end mm-hmm. that, that dark and the sacrifice um and you know hey when these red shirts die you know, we like to make fun of it, but in that universe, they're real people with real mm-hmm. people who love them. And to, and there's a loss is felt. So, uh, and of course, then it inspired one of my favorite Trek series. So, mm-hmm. uh, so I'll choose that one. <laughs> and then I will say, uh, I, I will agree the best of both worlds parts one and two, uh, fantastic. Introduce some very interesting characters, Jellico, Shelby, all of those ships. Cause I'm a ship geek. Um, it's and not Jellico the, in that one, but Shelby is there. Yeah. Isn't, it's a different if it's a different admiral. Oh, okay, okay. Yes, I'm sorry. Um, and then um yeah, for Shelby 
and all the yep. ships and and the action sequences mm-hmm. that came that were that were all part of that it was just a great mm-hmm. like you said Jimmy that could have been a motion picture it would have been a great mm-hmm. one so if i could interact briefly with your choices yep. mm-hmm. I, I i agree lower decks is really good i almost put it on yep. my list with inner light i agree with you the first time i saw it i thought it was moving and profound so i definitely mm-hmm. understand that in attempts to rewatch it though I find it's dry and depressing and boring. And so right. I think that it has I think that it has first watch value mm-hmm. that is yeah. really high, but I don't think for me it doesn't have rewatch value that's right. really high. I, 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 I could see that. Yeah. I thought about Inner Light as well and, and for me it it's it's a episode that's important for Picard's character. Yeah, I'm glad that they I mean, did it. It's yeah. a good episode, it informs his later character with his flute and everything. Glad they did it. Just don't want well, to watch he, it a lot. Well, he, he's more <laughs> sympathetic and more em- mm-hmm. empathetic as a character. Yeah, much more forward. so than earlier. Yeah, you that's know, true. and so it, it it really was. It's a good episode in that aspect. But yeah, it's not a really watchable episode. It's one of those episodes that, like, when we're talking about it, we'll say something like, "Well, this is definitely advances the storyline," but that's about all you can <laughs> say about it. <laughs> once the, once you know what's going on, you've seen it once. Once you understand what has happened then it doesn't carry the same weight. I agree with that. Um, it does not have high rewatchability, but it, I think as far as contributing to all of Star Trek TNG, uh, for me, it's, it's up there. Uh, all right. We are moving on to the DS9 round, and I have the privilege of going first, and I'm going to say, of course, In the Pale Moonlight is mm-hmm. the best, and it may be the best overall Star Trek episode ever. I don't know. I, I would, it would be hard-pressed to say that. Um, just because of the, the, the moral struggles of, of, uh, Cisco in that one. Uh, but I'm also going to say the siege of AR 558, which was probably the best war episode. Although the strange new worlds episode of this past season, uh, I forget the name of it. Uh, I actually like the strange new world ones better than siege of AR, whatever. Yeah. 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 Uh, the, the, the one where, uh, they, that, that, um, Christine and, uh, Dr. Mbenga were on that planet with the yep. Klingon general. Mm-hmm. Um, that actually may, may actually surpass it, but I really love siege of AR five, five, eight and, mm-hmm. uh, and, and w- within the context of DS nine, certainly. Um, and I also really liked, it's only a paper moon, which mm-hmm. was a Vic Fontaine episode and had Nog's struggle and really took Nog from being a comic annoyance. You know, he'd already been transforming a bit, but really took him to that next level and made him a real interesting character with some depth. Uh, so uh, those those would be my picks. Just yeah. just to interact with, with yours briefly. Mm-hmm. Um, so I agree. I'm going to name Only a Paper Moon and, uh, and In the Pale Moonlight as well. They're both on my yeah. list. Mm-hmm. But I really don't like the Siege of AR, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. I like the concept mm. of that episode where we're going to be at a ground base in the Dominion War. We're going to see the suffering of the field soldiers. It's not all going to be magical. There's not going to be a magical happy ending at the end. I love the concept. I just, I think it, it's, it, it falls flat for me. Um, mm. That's what I like about, or what I like about the, um, the equivalent episode in Strange New Worlds is um we we get to see that we get to, and and it's wow okay it's even amped up from siege mm-hmm. of ar ar whatever 
the the battlefield tension but we also have it's something more that shows us <laughs> more than just here are a bunch of people suffering right. in wartime we have the moral issue that Mbanga is facing with the Klingon general who escaped and killed his own men, and Mbanga mm-hmm. knows that mm-hmm. and is is torn about can I reveal this or should I not reveal it or you know how do I treat this guy? And I think that just elevates the story right. of the suffering. No, okay. I, I agree. And in the episode from Strange New Worlds, which by the way is on my list, so we'll have time to talk more mm-hmm. about that in in a few minutes. Uh, yeah. Is under the cloak of war, yeah. Season two, yeah. episode eight. So, so Father Corey, that uh, I think you are next on the list for yep. DS Nine. So, what are your favorites from uh, well, the DS Nine? From DS Nine, yeah. Okay. DS Nine, my first first one is it's only a paper moon, and just like you, you know said, Dom, it advances Nog's character, but it also shows the effect of PTSD on mm-hmm. the, on those who served, on those who who fought in war and yep. suffered, you know, were injured in war. So it it you know it really shows you know people how people deal with it you know uh, real life of course you see people they get into drugs and drinking they get into gambling and so on in Ogg's case well, let's went, go to Vegas yeah exactly <laughs> that's exactly yeah. kind of what he does he gets into the but it gets into the business side of it uh, in the pale moonlight of course you know Cisco's willing to betray his principles to get the Romulans into the war and it it works but he still has that kind of that guilt but he still goes with it mm-hmm. it kind of shows who Cisco is. And then for the uniform with Michael Eddington, where he's chasing after mm. Michael Eddington. And again, mm. how far is he willing to go to get this guy who betrayed, admittedly, his principles? And yet mm-hmm. then later on, Cisco is willing to do it as well. So Interesting. Yeah, Cisco, say, Cisco yeah. almost ruins his career in that episode. Yeah, he does. Yes. Vic Fontaine uh, is, um, is maybe my favorite holodeck character ever. I mean, mm-hmm. there's been a lot mm-hmm. of them. It's certainly not the, the bartender from Haven. Um, <laughs> but it, it Vic Fontaine. I, I just loved uh, Vic Fontaine. It was uh, it, it was fantastic. Uh, Jimmy, your list for Deep Space Nine. So, uh, starting with the first season duet, where um, Kira has to tend a guy that she thinks is a Cardassian war hero who becomes a Cardassian war villain, who becomes a tragic figure who's neither a hero nor a villain. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's a fascinating mind game episode with real emotional punch whispers. Um, this is an episode that is, it starts like invasion of the body snatchers. Miles O'Brien has come back from a mission and he starts to detect that everyone around him on the station is treating him with out mm. full trust. Like he's being shut out of things and they're not letting him do things he would normally do and he gradually concludes that it seems like everyone has fallen under some kind of sinister influence and he even contacts starfleet to go over their heads and it seems like starfleet has fallen under a sinister influence and we get down to the last five minutes of this episode and you think there's no way they're going to wrap this up and then they do and it's brilliant and i'm not going to spoil it Uh, also, the Armageddon game. Uh, this is one. This is a similar one, in a way. Um, Cisco, uh, uh, not Cisco. O'Brien and Bashir have gone to help two alien groups settle a war by destroying and make peace by destroying their inventory of 
of weapons and there's of biological weapons. And there's an accident, and both O'Brien and Bashir are apparently killed instantly. But Keiko O'Brien can't accept this, and she's watching the videotape of of the accident, and she sees a clue that tells her this videotape has been faked. Mm. And we have to find out what's really – and she's, she is adamant. My husband would not be drinking coffee at this time of day. This mm-hmm. is fake, and we've got to go find them, and they do. And the the thing that just that really puts this it's a it's a it's a good episode to begin with. But the thing that puts it on my favorite list is again once again the last five minutes, and I will not spoil what happens. But the last <laughs> two lines of this episode are genius. Um, little green. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, family business. Where we get to go to Ferenginar and meet Moogie. Oh, yeah. Little Green Men, where we oh, go yeah. to 1947 and the Ferengi are the explanation of Roswell. <laughs> uh, the Assignment, which is one where uh, Keiko becomes comes back and is possessed by a paw wraith. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And her portrayal of a possessed person is like the best. Mm-hmm. In science fiction, because she plays it completely the opposite of every other possessed person in the history of science fiction. Understating instead of overdoing. Understating yeah. oh, instead yeah. of overdoing. I mean, she's just acting normal. It's like, Miles, I'm a pirate, I'm possessed, but you're making too big a deal out of this. I mean, <laughs> and like later she's eating, she's eating a box of yeah. chocolate. And it's like, miles, you're not really going to let me eat this whole box of chocolates by myself. Are you? Yeah. <laughs> it was just, it was great. So just yeah. a brilliant subversion of a typical sci-fi trope mm. trials and tribulations mm. where we get to revisit one of the best episodes of the original series. Impact nor where, um, O'Brien and Nog and a few other people and Garak go to the discarded shutdown right. sister station of Deep Space Nine, which was known as Teroknor. They mm-hmm. go to Impoknor, so they get to use the Deep Space Nine sets, but everything's dark. Uh, the Cardassians are not using it. The gravity is not working exactly right. And, um, and they discover a failsafe system that the Cardassians left when they abandoned Impaknor of um, uh, basically super soldiers, Cardassians, that they have to deal with. But there's a complication about what makes them super soldiers, and we have to deal with Garrick mm-hmm. when he becomes infected by the super soldier juice. And he's really struggling to maintain his Federation-influenced morality and failing. And ultimately, Miles O'Brien, and he, he's, t- he's t- mentally torturing Miles O'Brien about, you're the hero of Setlick 3. You're not an engineer. You're a warrior just like me. And Miles ultimately has to prove he's an engineer. Mm. And it's really well done. Um, in the cards, on the outbreak of the Dominion War, Jake and wants to buy a present for his father, and he wants to get him a baseball card. And this leads to the most amazing adventure in 
I mean, wow. Lions and geigers and bears. Oh, my. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, is, it is an incredibly fun episode with an incredible adventure in the, mix, in the midst of it. Waltz, Cisco and Ducat. Ducat has been the leader of Cardassia and fallen from power. And he and Cisco are trapped on an asteroid together. And as we, as, as they're waiting for rescue, they have to interact with each other. Cisco has been injured, apparently, and Ducat is having to take care of him. And, and it becomes obvious Ducat is not in his right mind. Mm. And Cisco has to deal with this crazy person. And it's, it's really well done. Statistical probabilities. This is our introduce our introduction to the Jack Pack. Um, they are a, oh, yeah. a group of augmented humans like mm-hmm. Doctor Bashir, but who aren't as high functional as Doctor Bashir. And they they appear in two episodes, and and they're both outstanding. They're both on my favorites list. The Jack Pack is great. I just wish they'd brought them back more. The magnificent Ferengi. <laughs> <laughs> where we get the Ferengi going on a Magnificent Seven-style mission to Impak Nor to rescue Moogie. Right. Inquisition, our introduction to the character Sloan. And the Inquisition or is centered... Section 31. Uh, Introduced in Section 31. The Inquisition is centered on Dr. Bashir. Yeah. Uh, they're raking over everything in his past to see if he's a traitor or not. And what it does is it proves he's not a traitor. So he's a potential recruit for section 31 in the pale moonlight. Of course, treachery, faith, and the great river. This one is set during the dominion war. One of the Wayun clones had the current Wayun clone has been killed and he's replaced by one who concludes that the, that the founders are wrong in the war. And he wants to conv- he wants to um, switch sides, and he wants to bring an end to the war by appealing to Odo, who he regards as a god. And so Odo, despite his lack of comfort with the role of a god, has to bring this Wayun back to the Federation, and it's a very moving episode that explores themes of faith. Mm. Covenant. In this one, Major Kira is kidnapped by transporter by a Pa Wraith cult that is led by Dukat. And we get to see things from the perspective of devotees of the Pa Wraiths. It's only a paper moon, which is not only great for what it does for Nog's character, it's great for what it does for Vic Fontaine's character. Because He's always been a bit player, but here he's a main player, mm-hmm. and he he gets to develop and 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 um, he's more active in this. I mean, the character himself says, "My, I've never been turned on for this long. I've, mm-hmm. I'm getting to do things I'd never gotten to do before." So, because he's caring for Nog, as he's got PTSD, and he's chosen holodeck therapy as his form of therapy. Vic gets to do things he's never experienced before. And it's great. Yep. And he realizes at a certain point, he needs to shut himself off to help Nog. Mm -hmm. And he makes that sacrifice. 
It's yep. great as a Vic Fontaine story, not just as a Nog story. Yep. Okay. Um, uh, Jimmy, I, I, yeah. I, I don't want to cut you off, but we are. <laughs> it's okay. I'm, I, I'm going to, ba- I'm going to, I'm going to abstain from most of the new Trek. Okay. Real, real quick. Field yep. of fire murder mystery where Esri has to tap on her mass murderer, Joran predecessor. That's right. Mm-hmm. Inter arma anum silent legis. Bashir gets a mission from section 31. Mm-hmm. And uh, those are my uh, also the second of the Jack Pack ones, and those are my favorite Deep Space Nines, which is <laughs> okay. the most because it's the best series. Of course, I'm gonna have the, the most series. there. Right. I, I actually was as you were talking about. It, I was thinking about Second Skin. Also, I really like that was with the when Kira was kidnapped by Cardassians, and they tried to convince her that she's she really a, a, a Cardassian, you know, um, Manchurian candidate style uh, spy, and it was, that was fascinating. That was that was that was a good one. All right, that brings us to uh, Voyager, and uh, Jimmy, you get to go first with Voyager. <laughs> Threshold, there's just nothing like seeing the captain and her helmsman turn into lizards and have space babies. <laughs> yes. No, uh, they're actually, that's one of the worst. That's, again, another savior watch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Going quickly, Tuvix. Great moral dilemma. Tuvix is a very winning character while we have him as a fusion of Tuvox and Neelix. The Thaw. This is the one where they encounter a planet with an artificial intelligence that is running a, 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 it's meant to be an entertainment system for a dying race, but it's gone wrong and it's torturing mentally the people that are plugged into it, including the character Fear who is depicted as an alien oh, clown yes. played by oh, Michael McKeon yep. right. and Janeway has to go defeat him. Sacred ground. Kess is injured on a planet that has religious beliefs and Janeway has to save Kess by interacting in a respectful way with the religious beliefs of the planet. Worst case scenario. The crew discovers uh, what seems to be a hollow novel about a Maquis rebellion on Voyager itself. And turns out it's not a hollow novel and it's got something embedded within it that makes it even more dangerous. Mm. Living witness, the doctor or a version of the doctor is revived 700 years in the future and must correct the memory of an alien species about Voyager and what it really did and didn't do. Mm. Latent image, the doctor discovers that he's missing memories and no one will tell him why Mm -hmm. equinox parts one and two. Mm -hmm. What I like about this in particular is the doctor's ethical subroutines get taken offline and we get to see (laughs) an evil version of the doctor who has no problem with human experimentation. Barge of the dead. Roseanne Dawson. Balana goes to Klingon hell. Right. This is one of the episodes that was written by Ron Moore during his very brief stint on as a writer for Voyager, and it's Ron Moore. It's mm-hmm. better than average Voyager. The Voyager conspiracy, Seven of Nine, becomes convinced that there is a conspiracy involving Voyager and that it was not just accidentally transported to the Delta Quadrant, and we've got to deal with her paranoia. Live fast and prosper. Um, con artists impersonate Janeway and Tuvok right. 
and are trying to scam people in the Delta Quadrant out of valuable resources and lay the blame on Voyager. And it's fun. Yeah, that mm-hmm. is fun. Uh, good. Uh, so let's see who is next. Oh, I'm next. Uh, so I would add t- t- uh, two. Uh, those are all good, actually. Uh, but uh, I would add um, really liked Year of Hell Part 1 and 2, which was an interesting um, alternative timeline version of Voyager's first you know, time in the uh, mm-hmm. Delta Quadrant, um, which included wonderful guest star Kurtwood Smith, who I kept waiting mm-hmm. for. Call Boy. someone a dumbass at some point because <laughs> he uh, famously read on uh, uh, that '70s show and he called his yep. son that all the time, mm-hmm. or the others, the other characters. Uh, but he, but a very interesting premise. I, I really like that. And the Killing Game parts one and two, which was the Herogen as mm-hmm. Nazis <laughs> and the yep. Voyager crew with memories altered as uh, resistance at all, uh, uh, defending themselves. Uh, a really interesting premise and. Um, the Herosian were an interesting uh, 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 antagonist race, uh, as opposed to the the dumb hair people at the beginning. Um, the, the, <laughs> Kazon, the Kazon, Kazon yeah. thank you. Yeah, they were the Kazon were like the Ferengi in the sense of they were not they were not scary villains. Let's put it that way. Uh, Just so, annoying. Yes, uh, Father Corey, how about you? So I've got Equinox as well, you know, not just because of mm-hmm. the doctor, but in, in general, that it, it's like an, an anti-Voyager. Mm-hmm. It's like, mm-hmm. what would Voyager have done if Janeway wasn't so insistent on maintaining as best as she would the Starfleet principles? Of course, she was willing yep. to bend those two when necessary, but just, just yeah. not to that level. Year of Hell, especially the original premise of Year of Hell, which was supposed to be a season arc, mm-hmm. yep. or at least, you know, major part of the season arc. And, you know, the fact is Voyager isn't pristine throughout much of it and actually gets destroyed at the end. But then, of course, you do the whole time reboot thing, spoiler, and and everything's yep. it's back to, you know, shiny, minty freshness again at the end of the episode. <laughs> but um, That's always been a complaint of a lot of Star Trek is they beat the heck out of the ship. Next episode, it looks like it just came out of dry dock. But right. um, and you didn't see that year in hell as the year went on, the ship was destroyed. Um, and then the episode I just recently watched that I really enjoyed blink of an eye. This is the planet that was out of phase time-wise. Yeah. And so yeah. you see the development of this entire civilization around Voyager effectively, but it ends up being, you know, a couple of weeks on Voyager is all it was. And mm. it was just, you know, very fascinating and to see this, this race, you know, develop even beyond where Starfleet is because they wanted to contact Voyager. Uh, so I, that's, that's, you know, it's one of those episodes that kind of forget, I forgot about until I, uh, until I watched it again. It's like, oh, this is one of the really good ones. Okay. Uh, that just concludes the Voyager round. Then let's move on to our Enterprise round. And Father Corey, you're up for that. What's your so, favorites there? I had a hard time with Enterprise because let's be honest, most of the episodes are pretty mediocre at best in Enterprise. Uh, one I did, actually two episodes I liked was the Andorian incident and shadows of Pajem. You know, that's where you meet the Andorians and, you know, the Vulcans have the spy thing under the Pajem sanctuary. And then the kind of the consequences of that, the fact that not just did they have this, you know, this incident, but then we saw the consequence of it, that Pajem was destroyed and the Vulcans had to deal with that. I actually kind of like that. And then first flight, which is, we see back when they're test driving the first warp ships warp five the little warp five basically uh fighter jets right 
Right. That was, yeah, that was a cool one. Um, all right. Uh, let's see, on the Enterprise. Jimmy, you're next on uh, the Enterprise round. So at this point, my picks are going to diminish dramatically because <laughs> Enterprise, as Father Corey said, is mostly mediocre. Um, it did get much better in the fourth season, but I just don't have that many standouts. And I didn't want to pick like the three or four part story arcs they, that they did in the fourth mm-hmm. season. So, but there is there is a pair of episodes now. I could fake out again with a night in sick bay, which is one of the <laughs> worst episodes ever. But I'm not going to do that. There there are two episodes. It's a two parter that I really do like, and that I really do have good rewatch value for me. And that's the fourth season pair in a mirror darkly, where we get to see yep. the mirror universe. They're set entirely in the mirror universe. There, there are no characters from the main timeline, and so everybody's evil, and it's just fun getting to see the Mirror Universe uh, on its own terms. Even the credits have been altered to reflect the yep. violent mir- militaristic history of, of the Terran Empire and mm-hmm. Starfleet in this uh, brutal version, and In a Mirror Darkly, parts one and two are a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have that on my on my list uh, as well because also you, it's the prequel. It's it gives the background mm-hmm. to the original Mirror Universe episode Mirror Mirror with the USS the original USS Defiant mm-hmm. ending up in that universe, and that's their their first clue that this exists and really sets the stage for all the Mirror Universe stuff that comes and, later. And the Tholian Web, yeah, mm-hmm. yep, right, right. Um, and I also added as well the Expanse. Which was a uh, what fifth uh, no fifth third season episode, um, I think it might have been even like late second whatever it was well, it third, was the third, one- se- third season is the was the Expanse story arc the Zindi Expanse story arc right there was an or did I so the- or, oh maybe I meant the uh, the Zindi whichever one it was where they uh, the the first Zindi attack on Earth uh, mm-hmm. where they they I- carved a furrow <laughs> from Florida to Venezuela or something like that and uh, because. Yeah, they- that's the so, turn. Go ahead. Right. Uh, the the expanse is the the final episode of season two, and that led oh, okay. into the Zindi story arc. Okay, that's where it was. All right. So yeah, it, because that was the turn. This is when again when Enterprise got good. Uh, so shall we say? I mean, there were good stuff before, but this is when it really was starting to hit its stride. They figured out what to, the show should be about, and they could have gone for five seasons after this, and just the powers that be were too dumb to figure that out. It was, there was a lot of dumbness going around around in the early two thousands around sci-fi. Let's put it that way at the networks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so that would, those were, those were mine. Uh, let's move on to discovery. That was the next Yay. series that came out. Um, uh, I get to go first and, uh, no <laughs> surprise. My favorite discovery episodes come from season two, which gave us, uh, Pike and, uh, and Anson Mount and the, the, Two that I really stood out for me there were New Eden, which had some really interesting themes surrounding uh, faith and religion and Pike's own faith. Mm-hmm. And um, man, it was just, this was hard. It took me forever to fig- to, <laughs> to choose two here because I wanted to make you have at least two. Uh, Light and Shadows. This was the one where Burnham went back to Vulcan to c- track down Spock. And we got to learn more about her interact, her, her, her time, her life with Spock's family. And so we got more expansion on Spock lore through Burnham's, right. uh, you know, uh, time there. 
so those are the two I could I could pick from Discovery. And so uh, who gets the, gets the honor? Uh, Jimmy, do you have anything that stands out in Discovery for you? No, I largely I, I'll make a few exceptions to this, but I largely abstain from New Trek because one of the key things for me is rewatchability. And I haven't lived with these shows long enough to discern which are the ones that I really want to rewatch. However, I can say with a high degree of confidence, very little discovery has much rewatchability <laughs> for me. Yeah. The the few episodes that do and I don't I don't even bother looking up their names are the ones where Captain Lorca is revealed and we get the mirror universe stuff in season mm-hmm. one. And mm-hmm. then season two is broadly better than uh, than season one was. And then season right. three, they jump off a cliff. <laughs> yeah. I mean, pretty Born much anything with Giorgio, too. <laughs> yeah. Well, anything with Giorgio was great, too, which, again, yeah. we lose in season three. So mm-hmm. uh, how about you, Father Corey? So my quasi-sarcastic answer is season four with all the emotion pulled out of it, all the feelings <laughs> edited out of it. Um, the, the whole the, the whole story arc of the Dark Matter Anomaly was a very interesting story arc. They did some very interesting things with it. You know, we talked about, if you want to hear more about that, you can go listen to Dom and I's uh, season four summary episode. You yeah. know, and I, I kind of talk about more, but they, I, there was some good things that were done there. But it was so interspersed of, well, let's sit around and, you know, do our USS emotional discovery thing. So that's quasi-sarcastic answer. Um, I personally did not choose a second season episode because that that would be too easy with discovery. Uh, But I did pick (laughs) Magic to Make the Sanest Man Go Mad, which was the Harry Mudd time loop episode. Oh, yeah. That was a good one, especially watching him kill the crew many, 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 many times. (laughs) Agreed. Um, I'd rewatch that. Yeah. That one one is rewatchable. That one is very rewatchable. Yeah. Ray Wilson is great. Yeah. (laughs) And then I did pick a third, but it's a short trick. Calypso. Oh. Interesting. Yeah. That that's rewatchable. That's an enjoyable episode that I am gonna call a discovery episode. I debated whether to include short treks in oh, this. Oh well then we may year. as well include them now. And my yeah. picks for short treks are Q and A, where mm-hmm. we get Spock yeah. and number one talking on his first day on the Enterprise, and the trouble with Edward, which is just over the top yeah. weird. Yeah. Yes. That was and fun. Fu- yeah, funny, 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 funny. There's a lot of good short treks, actually. I mean there's uh the 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 animated one with the uh, with the, the animated robots. one is also good yeah. yeah yeah and um what was the the other one that just slipped my mind but there was another one too that I thought like oh immediately that that one too um all right so that's quickly through discovery <laughs> let's move on to Picard uh Father Corey I had what, a hard time with Picard I had a hard time yeah. with Picard and and part of the reason I had a hard time with Picard is because they're 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 season stories yeah they're not you know by and large. Um, they're not standalone they're not, stories. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, so the first one I picked was imposters and this is the return of Ro Lauren. This is the oh, Ro Lauren yeah. episode where she comes back. I really enjoyed that. I really enjoyed the character of Ro Lauren and, um, and just the way they developed her character, how it looked like she was there to basically attack Picard and Riker. And it turns out she was actually there to protect them. And mm-hmm. to you know keep them keep them safe. So that was that one was a really good one. And then farewell, which was the last episode of season two, hmm. was another one that I I had picked that I because um, it was the conclusion of season two and it it kind of built on what then they went into with season three. Okay, 
So um, I'm next, and I would pick no surprise. I think that my two are from season three, which I think is, I think we all agreed was by by far and away the best of the Picard seasons. Um, and I would have I choose two, uh, the last generation, which is the final episode, the last episode. It has the the TNG crew all together working, you know on the bridge of the enterprise D and it was very nostalgic, but also a lot of action um, and a lot of promise for what could possibly happen in the future. And then no win scenario, which was earlier that season that included that scene on the holodeck with Shaw when he rips into Picard and mm -hmm. man, was that peak Shaw? Like we didn't get a lot of Shaw <laughs> in this, you know, I, you know, we, unfortunately, uh, but man, he was fantastic in, in that scene. I really loved that scene. And I, uh, was so good. Um, there's, like you said, it was hard to pick, uh, you know, scenes out of Picard because it was one story per season, basically. Uh, but, uh, but th those, those are the ones I picked. Jimmy, did you have anything you wanted to mention in this regard? No. Um, I think the seasons of Picard get progressively better. Um, and the third season is clearly the best. I also agree that performance as Captain Shaw was awesome. Mm. Um, Picard was enough, uh, Picard season three was enough. Now is the showrunner was Terry Metalis and it was strong enough. I decided recently I was going to watch the four season series, 12 monkeys based on oh, the right. movie from the 1990s because Terry Metalis was the showrunner on that too. Mm -hmm. And so I've started watching that and it's, it's quite well done. I'm only in the first season, but it's quite well done. And Captain Shaw is yes. one of the antagonists <laughs> yep. in that. So yeah. I'm looking yeah. forward to seeing more of his performances. And speaking of Shaw, you know, I, I mentioned uh, Imposters, which was the Ro Lauren episode. And I love that scene where they're in the holodeck, Captain Shaw and Riker and Picard are there in the holodeck, and he's just gleeful because they're going to meet her. And oh, you're going to get in such trouble. And this is going to be wonderful. And <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Uh, he had some great some great moments for him uh, in that that season. Yeah, he's he's uh, another like Jellico, another awesome captain. That yeah, yeah. Just but people appreciate people appreciate him better. Yes, exactly. they do. They do. Uh, all right, our next round is lower decks. Jimmy, do you have anything from lower decks you wanted to highlight? No, they're all really good. That's my problem with this series is yeah. they're all so much fun, and I just haven't had a chance to rewatch them enough to identify favorites yet. Um, all right. So then let's see who, who got the second there. Uh, the father Corey, what did you, th what, did you have anything from lower decks? Yeah, I, I do have a couple from lower decks and they're mostly development episodes. Uh, first one is something borrowed, something green, where we get mm -hmm. to see Orion and we get kind of development of the Orion, uh, race. That was that, that one, of course it's just a fun episode anyways, but we get to, you know, see a lot of that, uh, Parth Ferengi's heart place. Mm -hmm. Where Rom and Lita come back, and that was such a another and more development of Frankenar. We get to see what Rom has done as uh, the Grand Nagus, and again, really enjoyable. And and you know to see uh, appreciation for the Ferengi culture, where it's not mocked anymore, but but uh, Freeman is able to actually use the Ferengi culture to uh, to get what they wanted, get that that get yep. Frankenar to come into uh, the the Federation. Mm -hmm. And then Reflections, season three episode. And this was the uh, where Rutherford is having the flashbacks. We find out what happened to him, why he ended up with the implant, and right. you know how he was involved with Section 31 or something like that, some underground organization within Starfleet. 
Uh, another really, really, again, kind of a actually fairly powerful episode, which they still need to pay off. They and they yes. probably, hopefully, they will next season. So for me, I picked um, old friends, new uh, old. What was it? Old friends, new planets, which was the season four finale, which was the last episode we saw. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of a fa- the the element of um, the last thing we saw is the best thing, maybe, but. It just was so much good. It's the show just keeps getting better. So the most recent episode to me is the best. Um, it's got Nick Locarno. It's got Mariner really coming out of the the funk that she was in through most of the season and coming yeah. into her own. Um, and Freeman and the rest of the crew. Really, you know, it was it was just everything came together in that episode. So I really liked that one. Um, and then uh, I have no bones yet. I must flee because. Moopsie. I mean, just <laughs> moopsie. Like, what's not to love a moopsie? So, uh, so those are those are mine for that one. Uh, so our next round is Prodigy, which to me was the hardest round of all. Mm-hmm. Uh, Father Corey, did you have uh, any for Prodigy? I do. Uh, I do actually have a couple. Of this this one was kind of difficult, but there's there's a couple episodes. A uh, time amok, which is this is the split timeline one where mm-hmm. Janeway is like the only. The, the hollow Janeway is the only connecting between all the different crew members and she's able to go back and forth and, uh, help fix the problem. You know, the ship got split in different timelines. I thought that was actually fairly well done again for, for such a simple series. This is, yep. you know, such a, you know, Pro- prodigy is a child, not children's, but more teen episodes, teens focused, but they did a good job on that one. There's asylum, which is when they get to the outer edges of the, the Federation and the, the truth of the protostars reveal that it's actually a bomb or, or, or mm-hmm. uh, a Trojan virus. Horse. Trojan yeah. horse. Um, yeah. yeah I, I, you know, we kind of get the development of, okay, now, now we know why this is such a problem that they're heading to the Federation. Mm-hmm. And then Supernova, the conclusion of the first season, you know, yep. the two part conclusion of the first season, again, uh, kind of developing the storyline and, and setting the path to go forward uh, into the, the second season, which will hopefully come out soon. <laughs> on Netflix question mark <laughs> question mark um Jimmy did you have anything you wanted to say about uh prodigy I thought the first season was the best <laughs> <laughs> very good uh I will uh, choose two for prodigy I will say that I uh the two best for prodigy I liked preludes which was um where we we got the background for all of the characters all of the the, mm-hmm. the, the crew of the protostar um, we got to learn about who they are, where they came from. Um, not everything, because we still don't know everything about um, our main Murph. character. Uh, well, yeah. Murph, that's for sure. That's true. And um, um, Dal. Uh, we don't get everything we need to know about Dal. But we do get more about Zero and uh, um, Jan Kampag and, yep. uh, and Rock Talk. So, and then the other one is All the World's a Stage, which was where they encountered the planet of the people who built their mm. civilization around right. the, Star the Starfleet Trek. crew. The, the, yeah, Star Trek, essentially. Uh, so that was fun. So th- those two really stood out to me. But again, it's also that problem of it's one big story, so it's hard to choose from among them. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, so let's move on to our final round, which would be Strange New Worlds. Uh, I get to go first in this one, and my pick is uh, the Those Old Scientists. The lower decks oh, yeah. episode, a live action episode, <laughs> uh, just so much fun, so funny. Um, I, I really, you know, there's not much to, I have to. I can add to that. You guys can add more if you want. Uh, tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow, which is where uh, Kirk and um, 
La'an. La'an, thank you. All these characters I'm trying to have to come up with with all these series. <laughs> Kirk and La'an end up back in Toronto in sort of, sort of present day. And we get a lot more of Kirk in this one, uh, Strange New Worlds Kirk. Uh, yep. And he really gets developed. I really like that. And then um, Charades, which is that funny episode where Spock becomes human and has to pretend to be Vulcan. And mm. it was, I just, it was, I just laughed at that one uh, throughout. So um, who gets to go next? Uh, Father Corey. So we've, we talked about this one already quite a bit, but it's under the cloak of war, you know, just mm-hmm. excellent showing the consequences of war, showing, you know, what it looks like on the front lines or at least behind the front lines doing, you know, mash basically. Um, right. But then also the being willing to forgive, be, but also, you know, holding consequences to those who cause it. You know, you see, again, the Klingon general who's trying to pretend that he's had this conversion of heart and now he wants to be an ambassador and all that. And it turns out that he's just knowing he's just playing the winning side. Mm. And, you know, should he have consequences for what he did during the war? Cause he did great atrocities and his troops under him did great atrocities. Um, you know, so an excellent episode and we've talked quite a bit about it. So I don't need to go too further in that the Elysian kingdom, just a fun episode where it's the storybook. They all become storybook characters. Mm-hmm. And only was it the doctor and was it Lon or the only no no it wasn't her who was the other one that was wasn't affected by it. But anyways, there's two. Was, there, yeah, yeah. But there's two, two people there two, who weren't affected. Yeah. But the doctor was one of them that wasn't affected by it, and, and it was just fun to see him kind of walk through and try to play through this whole story where everybody's playing these alternate characters, and then a quality of of mercy. Uh, the the epi- the final episode of season one where. Pike meets future Pike if he hadn't gone through the accident and what were the consequences mm-hmm. of that and Pike having to come to his, you know, come to basically resolution on, yes, his future is going to lead to this tragic accident. That's going to put him in the wheelchair. Um, but he's still willing to take those steps that will lead to that. Mm. I think it was Hammer, by the way, who was immune. Uh, th- wasn't it? Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Jimmy, do you have anything you wanted to say about, uh, strange new worlds? Yeah. Um, I, so those old scientists, uh, that would probably be my top of all of them. It's just so much fun. Um, the, uh, I like tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. I like, sh- which is the, the go back to Toronto, uh, episode. Mm-hmm. I liked charades, which is the Spock as a human episode. I really liked subspace Rhapsody. Not quite as much as those old scientists, but I really liked it. And I might add a quality of mercy from the end of season one where Himmer dies. Mm-hmm. Mm, yes. Yeah. Those are all good choices. All right. So those are what we declare to be the best episodes of Star Trek. And of course, this is our choice. We would love to hear from uh, any of you, what your selections would have been if you would have differed, if you uh, if you had ones you wanted to suggest, uh, we'd love to hear from you. You can send your uh, picks in to trek at sqpn.com or any of the other places I'll mention at the end of the episode. But I did promise some listener feedback, and I know this is a long episode, but uh, I just want to get to that now. Oh, uh, this is nothing. We're only a little <laughs> more than an hour. You should listen to Jimmy Aiken's Mysterious World. <laughs> And we're pushing like three hours on some of the, not that many, but uh, no, this is, this is good. So let's get to our first feedback from a recent episode, Progress, the Deep Space Nine episode. Eric sent in an email. He said, y'all brought up some very good points about morality and progress. And it got me thinking, I went back tonight and rewatched that episode and paid very close attention to some subtle details. 
In the daytime scenes, you can hear clearly in the background is full of wildlife. Dozens of bird species, other animals can clearly be heard. At night, there are crickets and insects, as well as other background noise. So this tells me that not only are there people inhabiting this moon, there seems to be an abundance of wildlife as well. Yet no mention is ever made of how they're going to deal with the indigenous species of the moon. The Bajorans only seem concerned about removing the people and apparently didn't care at all about destroying dozens or hundreds or even thousands of other species. Uh, now, it kind of goes against Trek philosophy. I found this in interesting because in Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, they wanted to make sure that not even a microbe was present on the moon when they tested the Genesis device. Yet here, they don't seem to care at all about the environmental impact on the indigenous species that don't happen to walk around on two legs and build huts and pottery kilns in the forest. So what do you think? Yeah. So um, number one, this is a problem that you've identified, which is a real issue that only people in the sound department would have noticed when the <laughs> when the episode was in production. Yep. Um, uh, it, you're right. The Federation is much stricter about these things, and Bajoran is, Bajor is in the Federation. Mm -hmm. However, there, it, it, you could say they that the moon was basically this makes this would make absolutely no scientific sense. But you could say all of the planet animal species on the moon were native to Bajor, so they wouldn't die mm -hmm. if you wrecked this moon. But that makes no sense at all scientifically. Yep. And in the context mm -hmm. of Star Trek, since they didn't have the Genesis device as a usable thing for Bajor's moon. So I have to assume that those are native species and they're willing to kill them to get winter heating for 100,000 humans. <laughs> or 100,000 Bajorans. Kind yeah. of, it's like priorities, guys. You're causing massive, ex you're causing multiple extinction events here. When you could just get some space heaters from the Federation, yeah, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah, throw a you fusion know, reactor we, down there. Yeah. yeah, well, you don't you don't have to protect the environment if you just completely destroy it altogether, <laughs> right? Now, with the Genesis device, I always, I mean, and maybe this was just my head cannon on it, but the reason why they didn't want any microbes is because they didn't want the microbes affecting the results of the uh, the the recreation of the planet it mm. wasn't a sense of because they were afraid of destroying life it was that life would become part of the genesis matrix and you know would evolve Nesting as we up. eventually end up seeing that's, when they find spocks that's an interesting interpretation but i think they do say in star trek 2 that they don't want even the potential for future life Right, no precursors or anything. Yeah, and that's and that, I don't know and whether that, that might be why I took yeah. it. That might mm -hmm. be why I took it. Where potential for future life, meaning that the Genesis reaction would create would take these microbes and create future life. Mm -hmm. Which, like I said, we do see in right. in Star Trek Three because we have those microbes that were on Spock's casket that eventually become the the alien with the the, the yeah, alien flukes. Yeah, I I interpreted it as a biological prime directive. Right. That um, that which we already have people talking about. Like there are people like Carl Sagan was one of them who said if it turns out Mars has microbes, we should leave it alone. Mm -hmm. mm, interesting. Right. Uh, all right. So our next feedback comes from Cameron, who writes: After hearing about Brian Keith's tragic death by suicide, I went to the Wikipedia page about him, and in the section about his death, I was surprised to read that a friend of his, actress Marina O'Hara thought that his death was accidental as he was probably cleaning his guns collection 
and there was an accidental misfire that killed him hmm. because he was in good spirits when she last saw him. And what's more, O'Hara thought that Keith's death must have been accidental because of his Catholic beliefs, which I thought y'all would find cool and interesting. interesting. Anyhow, I thought that this is a more positive and alternative interpretation of his death that might help take a bit of the sour note out of the episode when watching it and thinking of him and his death. Because I know Jimmy mentioned this aspect of Keith's tragic death interfered a bit when watching the episode. I hope you're right. I hope yeah. it was just an accident. Um, and it may have been. The factors that are cited here are plausible. The challenge I would have in coming to that same conclusion, I mean, partly I didn't see him, I didn't know him. Mm-hmm. But the main challenge I would have is I've cleaned guns and I'm... Uh, if you're into any degree of gun safety, yep. killing yourself in an accident, it, cleaning your guns is really um, hard. It's hard <laughs> to do. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, you got to, you got to violate major, major pieces of gun safety protocol to yeah. even get injured, much less killed cleaning mm-hmm. a gun. Yeah. Right. Especially when, when the first rule of gun safety is act as if the gun is always loaded. Yes. Right. Also, people who are severely depressed can appear in good yeah. spirits mm-hmm. right before they take their life. That's not a that's not a consistent indicator. So, um, which is important, an important factor yeah. when you're when you have people in your life who might be depressed is don't just go off of oh yeah. they seemed in good mood today so that everything's okay. You know, you have well, to look and, deeper. And of course, you know, this is Brian Keith. He's a, a, a established an actor. actor that he knows how yep. to put on the appearance. Yeah, yeah, right. Uh, then on our episode 276, Tomorrow is Yesterday, from uh, the original series, Michael writes in, The U.S. Air Force did indeed have air-to-air nuclear weapons during the time period in which Tomorrow is Yesterday is set. The Air 2 Genie unguided rocket in use from 1957 to 1985, and the AIM-26 Falcon guided missile in use from 1961 to 1972, the Genie was carried by the F-89 Scorpion, the F-101 Voodoo, and the F-106 Delta Dart. It is true that the F-104 Starfighter never carried the Genie, but Spock's concern about nuclear-armed U.S. Air Force interceptors is far more reasonable than you gave it credit for being. Fair enough. Okay. That's fair enough. My, yeah. My, my thought, though, is one of them was an unguided nuclear rocket. <laughs> well, okay. Point, basically point and shoot, hope, basically. <laughs> yeah. But, but the idea, though, that, oops, we missed. What's going to happen to the nuke? that we just launched (laughs) broken arrow broken arrow yeah exactly they they were much more willing to use nuclear weapons in tactical scenarios than uh, anybody ever thought today to do hopefully at at a minimum it did have at least something where the pilot could send a okay self-destruct type signal (laughs) you know right right uh, and then all the way back to episode 59 uh the original series episode muds women mark writes on youtube Jimmy was talking about proxy weddings in the Old West. They still happen now in the state of Texas. I found out about this years ago when a friend married a man in prison, which is a long story. In fact, two astronauts married with one in space and one in Texas. A unique, this is a quote from a news story, I think. A unique space wedding took place on August 10th, 2003, when Ekaterina Dmitriev, an American citizen living in the U.S. state of Texas, where the ceremony was performed, was married by proxy to Yuri Molenchenko, a cosmonaut who was orbiting the Earth in the International Space Station at the time. End quote. You know, I've never done a survey of where proxy marriages, in what jurisdictions are proxy marriages Mm -hmm. still legal or still done. It may be a lot of them, I don't know. 
Right. But you know where else they're done? The Catholic Church. Yep. Because the Code of Canon Law has provisions for proxy weddings. Excellent. <laughs> Although, you have to make sure you get consent ahead of time. And so that uh, poor, poor Yuri up in the space session goes, I married what? <laughs> yeah. Well, you didn't say it. You didn't do it. So. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. And, and by the All way, right. Montana also has proxy marriages. So, including double proxy. Mm-hmm. Interesting. In so, specific situations. Present. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's spe- and I would assume. Most likely, this is going to be something like a military, where mm-hmm. he's he's stationed at one base in one state. She's based based in another base elsewhere in the world, and they just do it by proxy <laughs> in Montana because they couldn't get leave the same time or something. I don't know. You know, I forget which one it is, but there's a Bing Crosby Andrews Andrews sisters song where they're singing along, and one of the lines is Bing Crosby singing, "I'm getting married by proxy," and it's like, <laughs> really, I'd like to know more about that. <laughs> <laughs> so, thank you, everyone, for your feedback. We do appreciate getting it, and uh, now we'd like to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Star Trek. Now at 300 episodes, including Tom and Charlotte D, John M, Michelle S, Ben A, and Sam M, their generous donations at sqpn.com/give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Star Trek and all the shows at StarQuest. And you can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. We'd also like to thank Victor Lambs, who edited this episode. So that's it from us. We'd love to get your feedback on the best Star Trek episodes ever, which you can do by commenting on the show at sqpn.com slash trek, our Facebook page at facebook.com slash starquestmedia, send an email to trek at sqpn.com, or visit our Discord community at sqpn.com slash discord. And you can watch The Secrets of Star Trek on our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash starquestmedia. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the Next Generation episode, Booby Trap. Until then, Jimmy Aiken, thank you for joining me and sharing The Secrets of Star Trek. Thank you, Dom, and live fast and prosper. (laughs) And Father Corey Stiga, thank you as well. Thank you, Dom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Star Trek on StarQuest. And remember, after a time, you may find that having is not so pleasing a thing after all as wanting. It is not logical, but it is often true. That's the best line ever. (laughs) In my opinion.